listening to First Church Charlotte. Everyone happy to be in the house of God? Preaching, uh, let me get right into it from this subject, the rest of your story. Somebody say the rest. rest. Smile at your neighbor, say you need rest. rest. (laughs) Now say amen. Let's do a real quick survey. How many of you, um, if you were honest, could say either spiritually or physically you need rest? Yeah, yeah. I just want to say uh, right here at the beginning, God's not the cause of some of your uh, restlessness. Uh, We have to be careful not to blame God for the restlessness. The Bible says uh, the Lord will not put on us what we cannot bear, but he wasn't speaking for you. You can put some stuff on you that you cannot bear, and you can blame the Lord if you want to, but let's be honest, you didn't know how to say no, so you said yes, 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 and now you're going crazy. We have been talking for three weeks on the goodness of God. I felt like I needed to be reminded in my spirit, and I decided that there's probably more than me that needed to be reminded uh, in their spirit of the goodness of God. So I want to start by saying this, and I do not want to stutter. God is good. I have been stuck in the 23rd Psalm for a while. I don't mind. I love getting stuck in the Scripture. Uh, Sometimes the people who listen to me get tired of the Scripture before I do. I do not apologize. I do ask for your long-suffering kindness. However, the Lord is my shepherd, so I have everything I need. Somebody say everything. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. He makes me lie down. Somebody say he makes me. He makes me. He makes me. He makes me lie down. Why, why, why? Because I don't always know when I need rest. I think I have strength and I don't. I'm at my wit's end. So he makes me lie down. Stress is killing my joy. So he makes me lie down. I'm not giving myself time to heal spiritually. So he makes me lie down. If you've raised children, you have experienced one of the great joys of life. Um, I, I, I just love children. I do. Um, I, I would steal most of your children if I had the right house and the right budget. But since I don't, they're saying it's your house and you're paying for everything. Uh, <laughs> I love children. I, I, think, I think if you, you uh, there, there's a purity to it. and I, I've, I've wondered about it, but I think it's this. I think if we're not careful, we lose our capacity for wonder as we grow older. Uh, and that's a tragedy to lose your capacity for wonder and having children will uh, restore your capacity for, uh, for wonder. Now, everything changes when they get to be a teenager. <coughs> Um, and then uh, they uh, just, anyway, moving along in a mostly Christian manner. <laughs> um, uh, I'm just cutting up. I love my teenagers, too. Our church has fantastic teenagers. We believe in them. We love them. We know they're not perfect, and that's why they're welcome at First Church. Um, we wouldn't dare send them to a perfect church where they'd get killed. So, anyway. <sighs> He makes me lie down. He makes me lie down. I don't know when I need rest. If you have a little child, you'll notice they will, they will do anything not to take a nap. They will do anything not to take a nap. They will play and play and play until they can barely keep their eyes open. They literally will go from running, chasing the dog, to pitching forward, falling asleep on the floor. You'll turn around, and their head will be uh, on the floor, and they'll be asleep. They'll have their iPad on their face. They'll be asleep. They'll do anything not 
to rest. They'll do anything not to rest. And as a parent, you have to make them lie down. Somebody say it with me. Make them lie down. What God has to do for all of us in our spiritual immaturity is let God make us lie down. Immaturity always leads to you thinking that you can do things you can't do. So he has to make you lie down. Immaturity always leads you to think that you know things you don't know. So he has to make you lie down. If you've ever seen a mother and that baby is mad and yelling and kicking and stomping and cussing and baby talk, I speak baby talk. I know exactly what the little suckers are saying. And they're rocking back and forth. They're trying to get that baby to go to sleep. How many of you have ever done that? You rock that baby back to some, my God, the baby's full of the devil. Got my wife's side of the family. <laughs> rocking that baby, rocking that baby as, as much as you can. You're making them lie down. Then they get older, they start negotiating. I'm not tired. I'm not tired. It can be midnight and my, uh, it can be midnight and we've been up since the crack of dawn and my little girl will be like, I'm not tired, idiot. I'm not tired at all. Uh, uh, okay, yeah, whatever. Uh, you have to make them lie down. They don't know what is good for them. And so, uh, so many of us serve God and we are ignorant to the spiritual restlessness that is with Within us. He has to make us lie down. Um, I, I have uh, had seen and experienced in my own life just how uh, restlessness becomes the enemy of spiritual productivity, and I'm sure you have too. Um, uh, only one in seven American adults set aside a day a week for rest, 14% set aside a day a week for rest. And then when you survey them, you find out what do they do on their day of rest. Well, of that 14%, um, there's only one in five that actually rests on their day of rest. They just do different kind of work. Um, 16% of Americans, uh, only 16% of Americans, set aside any quiet time to be alone and to restore their souls, uh, their minds, their spirits. Um, of those, uh, only 21% say they set aside time uh, to be with God or to do activities, 12% that are restorative to them. Only 12% of Americans Americans say they intentionally set aside a time of the day where they don't have distractions or they turn off their phone, they turn off their electronic devices. All of these numbers are from and Andy Crouch's book, The TechWise Family. And uh, it's very, very interesting just how we think we can restore ourselves with entertainment rather than rest. My Lord. We go to rest and we think entertainment will restore us, but it doesn't. It puts us in some imaginary world where they have a nuclear bomb and it's lost. That's restful. It puts us in some imaginary world where some husband is trying to stalk his wife and kill her. Uh, that's restful. It puts us in some imaginary world where the novelist has a serial killer who's moving up the I-95. That's restful. Entertainment will restore us. No, no. And again, I say no. You're like a child running around saying, I'm not tired. I'm not tired. I'm not tired. In the meantime, you cuss at everybody who bothers you. You cry at everything that you do. You hit your brothers and sisters, and you're running back and forth saying, I'm not tired. I'm not tired. I'm not tired. Give me some more Netflix. I'm not tired. Give me some more uh, 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 sports. I'm not tired. Give me some more distraction. Give me some more. You get the idea. Running back and forth. I'm not tired. I'm not tired. I'm not tired. Uh, behold, methinks thou doth deceive thyself. I thought I would sound official if I threw some King James in there, but it, di it didn't work as well as I thought it would. Uh, Methinks thou doth deceive thyself, and um, we find our lives restless. 
the famous country music icon, uh, Merle Haggard. He, he had 38 of his albums appear on Billboard's country music top 10. More than a dozen of them made it to number one. Uh, he also had 38 number one singles, and um, he, he, he lived a very, very restless life. He went from relationship to relationship. He had five wives, and that's just counting the ones who made him, made him make them an honest woman. That's not counting the ones that he uh, went on uh, his way, merry way, about and with. Uh, and then he couldn't even keep his soul right, and he got in trouble with the law and spent time in San Quentin Pitt Prison. That's always helpful. Um, and then he said in uh, an interview with Rolling Stone Magazine right before he died, he said this. He said, there is a restlessness in my soul that I've never conquered, not with motion, not with marriages, not with meaning. And he said this, it's still there to a degree, and it'll be there until the day I die. Uh, rest is normally learned uh, by us as a physical truth. Um, we use rest as a physical understanding, and when someone isn't sleeping well, we say to them, now, if you don't get some rest, uh, you're going to get sick. And what we're really saying is based on science, which is that your immune system will be uh, 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 increasingly repressed as you uh, do not get rest. And this isn't my opinion. I mean, I have opinions, but this isn't one of them. This is actual data where they have done tests where they measure the activity of your white blood cells. And even after one sleepless night, there is a notable, notable, like double digit uh, diminution uh, in your immune system's capabilities. Restlessness will lead to sickness. And that's just the first of it. If you do any sports or if you work hard physically and you do not rest, the reality of that will be that your body does not repair. And the reality of it not repairing is you'll start having muscles fail. You'll start having tendons fail. And so I this week was listening to a coach of the greatest marathoner. I can't pronounce his name, but if you're into running at all, you know who it is. Who it is. He has the world record sub-two-hour marathon, uh, which means he has to run uh, 26 miles at a pace of about 425, which is faster than a treadmill that you work on out on the job will go. Your, your treadmill at the gym won't go that fast. So you would have to run faster than the treadmill you play on for 26 miles to be as good as this guy. And his coach has been interviewed, and he said, with a world-class athletes, the problem is a lot of times isn't to get them to train, it's to get them to rest. And if they won't rest, they can't train. And if they can't train, they can't push the limits. And so it is that oftentimes we think we're okay, and we're not anywhere close to okay. We think we're recovered, but we're not. What we are is entertained. Entertaining Entertainment is not spiritual recovery. Let's talk about the rest of your life. The rest of your life. This truth of rest is more than a physical insight into the human body where if you don't get rest, your immune system will uh, diminish and you'll get sick. And if you don't get rest, your muscles won't recover, your tendons won't recover, and you will get injured. And finally, if you don't get rest, guess what? You will go crazy. Your sanity becomes at risk as your lack of rest increases. And so I ask you how the rest of your life is doing. God teaches us not just physical lessons in rest. Man, I'm preaching here today. I hope someone hears you. I know this isn't an amen message. I know that. I love those two. But somebody needs to reach out with both arms and grab on like this like it's a life jacket. Uh, God rested after creation, not because he was tired. God wasn't tired when he got done. He, was, he rested because there was a completion, and he reviewed it and said, hmm, that's some fine, fine work. 
If you don't do good work, you'll never feel good about your rest. And if you don't ever finish anything, you won't feel good about your rest. Some people are restless because they don't finish things. He looked at it and said, huh, that's some fine work. I think I'm going to take a break and think about that a little bit. But this is more than just a thing. It is a spiritual truth because the whole creation was at rest, not just him kicked up in the uh, easy boy with his uh, iced tea. No, uh, the whole creation was at rest. When's the next time you see God troubled? When's the next time you see a sense of spiritual trouble or shall we dare say restlessness in the story of God? It's after sin has entered in because sin always destroys rest. And if I was a good preacher, I'd preach that better than I'm preaching it. Sin always destroys rest. So what do you end up with with destroyed rest? You end up with God seeking them. Adam, where art thou? He's now walking through the garden. He's pretending he doesn't know because he doesn't want to embarrass you. He's pretending he believes your lies because he knows that he can crush you if he comes on too hard. Love is always patient and love is always kind. Adam, where art thou? God knows where you are. You're the one lying to yourself, not God. Adam, where art thou? God knows the mess you did. God knows, but he's playing make-believe because he wants you to know he loves you more than he judges you. Some of us put a lot of junk in our life, a lot of mess. We create a lot of trouble. We stir it up. We don't have our spirit in control. We don't have our tongue in control. We don't have our relationships in control. And we're a hot mess everywhere we go. And God still shows up loving us because he wants us to feel love more than judgment because judgment fails, but love never fails. That's when you see the restlessness of God is after sin has entered in. And uh, you see God seeking. You see God searching. You see God crying, Adam, where art thou? That's not the end of the story. All of the world is set into restlessness by sin. Spiritual order has been destroyed. This is all spiritual lessons of rest. Do you see? Work with me. I know I'm throwing a lot at you here, but sometimes we do that. And you, you, you follow along pretty good for the most part. Um, I want you to know that he came not just to leave creation in a state of spiritual restlessness, but he came to bring order back to that which was destroyed by sin. And so Jesus comes to correct the error of sin and return his people to what? Rest. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will, somebody say it with me, and I will give you rest. And so at Calvary... At Calvary, he hangs between heaven and earth, and there, as they curse at him, as they mock him, as they pierce his side with a sword, his back rent by the whip that has been so unfairly and unjustly applied to him. Finally, at the limit of his strength, he lifts his head heavenward, and what does he say? He says, it is finished, and he gave up the ghost. What is finished? What is finished? What is finished? All creation has been groaning and tormented by sin, but he came to give rest wherein the weary find rest. Christ offered up a sacrifice for our sins, and then what did he do? He ascended on high and sat down. Somebody say sat down. He sat down at the right hand of the Almighty, the God, uh, the eternal God. Of, he sat down the flesh by the eternal Spirit of God as a demonstration. Sin tried to kill it, and all creation was held in judgment, but I righted the wrong, and by sin, well, through Adam, sin entered in the world, uh, but through the work of Jesus Christ, 
we are given what? Peace with God. It's the rest of your story through Jesus Christ. We have peace with God. It is the rest wherein the weary find the rest. But unfortunately, we are sometimes in the habit as, of living as functional atheists. I know we say all the right things, but then, let me preach about myself, I can't sleep at night. And I tell myself, do you believe or are you just trying to rally people? Do you believe? Do you believe? Do you believe? And you do too. We are tempted to live as functional atheists. We say we believe, but we think maybe God won't do it. <laughs> we say we believe, but we think maybe God isn't in control. Do you see? Y'all going to work with me a little bit here this morning? I, I need some church folks. I don't want to preach by myself. I'm long-winded when you make me preach by myself. If I get some churchified people in here, give me some churchified amens, then I won't preach so long and you'll like me better, okay? I want you to see, you need to lay it down and say, God, I can't win it if I tried, so I'm giving it to you. And God starts fighting when you stop fighting. And so he rests, and here you see this story over and over in the Scripture. Martha distracted by many, many things, and Luke tells the story, and she complains, Jesus, I'm doing all the work around here trying to have a good event, and Mary is over here sitting at your feet. And the Lord, the Lord, I, I want to point out something to you. This is not a theme about how to serve the Lord. Like, I don't volunteer anywhere. I just am always in the altar. That's not what this is about, because how many times did this happen in the Bible? Once. How many times do they eat at people's house? Somebody say a lot every day. <laughs> how many times did this happen? Once. This is not about how people shouldn't work. This is about how Martha, the worker, can miss the point. Yes. I thought that was good. I thought that was good. You going to say amen? Okay. All right. You say amen on the way home. Okay. All right. So. <laughs> This isn't about, this happened one time, okay? So don't talk about how I don't drive the church van. I'm too good to help with the church event. I won't serve when they have something for new people. I know I just sit at the altar. No, this happened once. It ain't about you. It's about how a worker can miss the point. Let me say it again. It's about how a worker can miss the point. A worker can miss the point. A worker can miss the point. Let me preach to some workers here today. We can't miss the point. Yeah, we're going to feed this crowd, but it's all about Jesus. And yeah, we're going to clean this mess up, but it's all about Jesus. And yeah, the churchyard is going to look good, but it's all about Jesus. And yeah, the band's going to have their group together. They're going to all be in the same key, but it's all about Jesus. And the team is going to work, and the church is going to pray. But it's all about Jesus. Um, uh, this word here could be translated disquieted. Martha, you're disquieted by many things, and you're restless, you're unsettled. Uh, I don't know the source of it. It might be vanity. You might be worried that the neighbors won't think you host well. It might be vanity where you think people don't think that you care about what the food was served. It may be, it may be that, Mar Martha, but you're a worker, and I've eaten here day after day after day after a day, but there's a lesson here for you today. There's a lesson for you here today. Don't miss the main point of it all. Don't miss the main point of it all. And so uh, we can, in the same manner, in our restlessness, can miss the main point of what it means to be people of faith. Uh, faith will start with the word we speak, but it must be lived by the life we choose. And I want you to know that it is a daily challenge. It's not one and done. It's not one and done. It's not one and done. Something will happen this week, and you know what I'll have to ask? Can, is, is, is God bigger than this, or am I more impressed with this than I am God? You see what I'm saying? We can be really impressed with our troubles, but God's not really impressed with our troubles. 
And we live as functional atheists. So we really believe in our great mighty troubles. Oh, bless its name. No, we believe in a great mighty God. Bless his name. And so... I want to show how humanity, if we're not careful, we live in a broken story. What do I mean by that? Uh, we all of us live in a broken story because um, we cope with things we cannot change. And the way we cope with things we cannot change is we create a narrative where we're the good guy and other people are the bad guy. That's a broken story because it is a lie we tell ourselves. And we have blocked the truth. And it would have been the truth that would have set us free. God doesn't need the truth. God is the truth. We're the ones who need the truth. That's why repentance and confession is always your spiritual beginning. If you can't see the truth about you, quit worrying about anybody else in the church that you think is not right. Does that make sense? That's fair. I love you, but it's still in the Bible. Repentance and confession is the beginning. It's the beginning. It's the beginning. If you can't do that, let me tell you what's going to happen. You're going to be trapped in your lie to yourself, and the most dangerous lie you tell is the one you tell yourself. It becomes your broken story, and the tragedy of it is the curse doesn't end with you. It flows into all your family, all your friends all your loved ones. You humble yourself. I don't know near as much as I think I do, oh Lord. Uh, there's no good guy, bad guy in this story. Let me tell you who's in this story. We need to get Jesus in this story. That's who needs to get in this story. I'm not better than them. They're not better than me. We'll always have our disagreements. I need Jesus in this story. Humble yourself and call upon the one who is good. Do you see? Is that fair? And so uh, it's the nature of fallen humanity to tell ourselves a broken story. It's not a story of transformation. It's a story of coping. I'm the good guy. They're the bad guy. I meant well. They're ugly. Now, how do we create good here and bad there? We do it like this. We judge ourselves by what we meant to do and say, and we judge other people by what they actually did and said. So we create a broken narrative. Do you see? It's always, I'm good. You're bad. Um, you want to fix a relationship? Humble yourself. Apologize. And stop with the broken story. Just stop the story. Is this okay? I'm getting nervous. Is this okay? All right. I'm getting nervous. Broken story is the unhelpful narrative. It's the unhelpful narrative. It's the unhelpful narrative. I sinned, but it's not really my fault. It's somebody else's fault. It's the preacher's fault, the church's fault, my husband's fault. You better not be saying that. You know it's not my fault. Or if it was, I expect a covering like grace. You see what I'm saying? It's Adam and Eve in the garden saying, let's cover our nakedness. And so they go get a leaf, which is the worst thing ever to weave into a covering. Come on. Let me tell you about a dress full of leaves. It will dry. It will crack. It will crumble. And it will do it at the worst time. And you will have a wardrobe accident and you will feel shame. Because what you thought would cover you was short term always. The lies we tell ourselves are always short term. They're always short term. There's a pitiful covering. It'll work right now because you're desperate. And all you know is you got to fix this pain you feel. And so you buy into the narrative of the good guy and the bad guy. And you don't humble yourself before the Lord. And in your story, you have uh, all these rights and wrongs. And here's the truth. You don't even know the whole story. You, you don't know. How could you know? Your own heart is desperately wicked. I didn't say it. The Bible said it. But you create this story. It's a broken story. It's a false narrative. It's a dress of leaves or, I don't know, some pants of leaves. I can't imagine what that looked like, but it sounds itchy. <laughs> I'm, I don't struggle with itchy. That's all I got to say. That did not come out good. I'm sorry. I apologize. That was embarrassing. Moving along so people won't forget it. If you're watching this online, that's your chance to make it viral. I'm sorry. 
We cover ourselves with this clothing of leaves. But it doesn't cover. It doesn't hold up. It doesn't last. And so the first sacrifice in the scripture is God showing up saying, no, that won't do. Innocent blood is shed. That's the first sacrifice in all the word of the Lord. And God takes those hides of animals that have paid the price of sin in the stead of the sinner. And they put that, God puts that covering on them and covers their nakedness. Because when God fixes your problems, they stay fixed. So I want to very quickly, it's always my goal to give inspiration in a sermon, but it's also my goal to give scripture. And so I'm always balancing between encouragement, inspiration, fun, cut up. I want you to have a good time. I want your energy to rise to church. There is joy in in this thing that we have. And so I don't want to be so prissy and proper that I'm tempted to vanity. I want to be, I want to have fun, but I can't do all that. I have to give you scripture. So let me give you some scripture here that you can carry with you. We're talking about how we cover ourselves with fake lies of covering like a dress made of leaves, which was always going to come apart at the worst possible time. And we end up believing the lie, and we become the people of the lie, and the unhelpful narrative curses us because we placed our trust in something that was never able to cover our sins. Uh, We tell ourselves the lie that if we uh, are successful enough at work, then we have value. Uh, That's a lie we tell ourselves. It's a misplaced identity. If I could be successful enough at work, then I would have value. Ecclesiastes 10, 15, only someone too foolish to find his way home would wear himself out with work. How about them apples? Uh, You think if I was good enough at my job, just just let that be a blessing to you. You know who you are. Then I would have value. But that is a lie. And the gospel... I'll show you is going to confront that lie. Uh, The second thing is materialism. If I had more stuff, if my car was as cool as your car, then I would be happy. Yeah, but let me tell you about a stinking payment that comes with that car. And you know what? You talk about some unhappiness. You get that payment, and you haven't even washed the thing that month. Not only do you have to make the payment, you have to wash it. And then the tires need ain't moving along. Uh, materialism, always wanting more things. How me give you some scripture, Ecclesiastes 6 and 7. We work to feed our appetites. Meanwhile, 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 our souls go hungry. Do not wear yourself out trying to get rich. Have the wisdom to show some restraint. Your money can be gone in a flash as if it had grown wings and flown away like an evil. Materialism is not your source of value. The gospel wants to confront that lie in your life. Uh, You can look at others and judge yourself by others, and this is a path of envy. If I had what they had, then I would be happy, Ecclesiastes 4 and 4. I've learned why people work so hard to succeed. It is because they envy the things their neighbors have. Uh, I want you to know this is all a deception of self. This is all an error of your personal way and your personal covering. You cannot cover yourself by thinking happiness comes because you have what somebody else has. Uh, other people, they, they say, if I could achieve X or Y, then I, I would be happy. Ecclesiastes 4, verse number 7. Here's another thing I've seen on earth that makes no sense. Some people don't have any kids or family or even friends, yet they work obsessively, never taking a break. There's no end to their toil, and they're never content with what they've done or earned. 
They never ask, why am I always working to do more, and why don't I let myself enjoy life, and who cares? Those of you who are wondering if who cares is in the Scripture, I want you to know it's right here in Ecclesiastes chapter number 4. Who cares? Thank you very much. Let that be a blessing to you. Go forth, thou art healed. Who will get what I leave behind? What a senseless and a miserable way to live. You're better off having someone to enjoy and share the rewards of your work. Relationships matter more than stuff. Um, and security is number five. Uh, I'm afraid that I won't have enough, and therefore I'm restless. I'm restless. I'm restless. I'm restless. I don't have enough. I don't have three months' expenses saved up. Uh, when you finally get that, I'm sure it's a blessed thing. I'm sure it's an awesome thing. Blessings upon all of you who have three months' experience, uh, of expenses saved up and put in the bank. I hate you a little bit, but God bless you. You see what I'm saying? Um, don't think that's where your security lies. Those of you who've gone to school and invested in yourself, I say, here, here. God bless you. It's hard work. It's hard work. It's hard work. I respect it. I love people who don't lose the grit and the grind of the way, and they're always digging it out, making it better. Blessings upon you. You are my people. But I want to say that's not what makes us safe. Our security does not come from these things. All of these are lies that we tell ourselves. All of these are coverings of leaves and branches that we put on ourselves and make ourselves think that is what we need to be whole, but it's all a lie. It's going to crack, fall, crumble, and disappear at the worst possible time, and your wardrobe accident is going to bring you shame because it was never a covering. You've got to have God cover you. So the gospel comes... And the gospel confronts our broken story. I said the gospel confronts our broken story. And the gospel is the opposite of all these things that we think give us value, but we find they give us artificial value. They give us short-term value. They give us a form of godliness, but that's the best of it all. Uh, I want to tell you this. You're not valuable because of the work you do. You're valuable because God said you are valuable. You might be so valuable they fly you around the world because you know all there is to know about one particular financial instrument that only affects 1% of the billionaires in the world, and they fly you all around. Yes, capitalism rewards asymmetric knowledge. When you know something other people don't know, capitalism says, hey, let's give you some money. You solve our problem. This isn't complicated. If you want to get in on that action, you got to find some asymmetric knowledge. you got to know something better than anyone else. Now, when you get that, guess what? People show up with their wallets out. Until you get that, it is a red sea of a crab bucket. Everybody pulling everybody down. Man, I'm off the reservation today. Y'all pray for me. I want to say, uh, yes, that is the case, but you're not valuable because you are a specialist on the ear. I mean, I'm glad you know everything about the ear. That's awesome. Uh, If my ear hurts, I will show up with an open pocketbook. But let me tell you, that's not what makes you valuable to God. Let me read James chapter number one, verse number 18. God decided to give us life through the word of truth so that we might be the most important of everything God has created. I'm glad you've got money in the bank, but that's not where it comes from. God made you important. God said of everything I have created through this word of life, I have given you the rest of your life, the rest of your story. You are the most valuable thing of everything God has created. But that's not how the world operates. The world will show up to young people and tell 
tell them you're not pretty enough to have value. It'll show up and tell them you're not a good enough athlete to have value. That's what makes junior high, high school, and early college so painful because you're trying to find out what your value is. And you're serving, and every time you see someone who seems to have more value to you than you, you wonder whether or not you deserve to be there. And so your value is always up and always down. Let me say to you adults, if you're still living this way, first of all, God help you, you poor darling. That's a terrible way to live. Uh, what if middle school lasted forever? Just shoot me now. <laughs> There's a better way to live than that. Your value shouldn't be up and down and up and down. Let me tell you, God loves you. God loves you so much. He moved heaven and earth to fix the mess that you were living in. That's how much God loves you. And God says to you, do you hear how the gospel confronts the lie you tell yourself? I'm valuable if I have good success in my career. No, you're valuable because God loves you. He's your heavenly father, and he is committed to you. How can I forget you, God says? How can I forget you? How can I forget you? How can I forget you? I have engraven you on the palms of my hands, Isaiah 49 and 16. Secondly, contentment will teach you that the lies of value the world tells was always a trap. It was always turning you back into more. I'm glad you bought the 22 version of your car, but 23 is coming out in three months, and then I'm going to look down my nose at you because you don't have the 23. Do you see what I'm saying? You just bought you a new car. I'm going to look down my nose at you. You're going to get the, you're going to get the payments of that new car just because you're rich and fancy. My God, just let it be a blessing over there. Uh, 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 it, she said it's a used car, but you were still had pride on your face. That's that. I, 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 you had pride on your face. Hey, be easy, easy. You're starting to get my wife's spirit now. I can see that right now. Contentment is the opposite of materialism. Materialism says if I had that, then I would be happy. Contentment says, nope, ha, I'm happy. <laughs> materialism says if I had that, then I would be happy. Now let's talk about dating here for a little while. If I had that, then I would be happy. No, no, maybe. But there's a lot of work between here and happy. There's a lot of humbling of self between here and happy. There's a lot of right hearts and humble spirits between me here and happy. Let me tell you, however hot you think she is, she's got her own baggage. And if you think she's going to show up and not have her own baggage, you are not mature enough to get married yet. Women, I don't care how many muscles are popping out of his muscles. I don't care if his muscles look like a mosquito bite on a piece of spaghetti. I want to tell you right now, he has his own baggage. And if you think two unhappy people get together makes a happy couple, Lord, you poor darling, I have got a bridge to sell you. That is not how it works. Let me tell you, it's hard work to humble yourself, to get yourself right, to say godliness with contentment is great gain. The gospel confronts the lies we tell ourselves. And let me just say one more thing to our single adults. First of all, I love you. I have affection for you. But there's something worse than single. I like to call it crazy. And crazy's right there available. Moving along. Number three. Why do we have a Sabbath as a spiritual lesson, not just a 
physical lesson. I'm glad you had the altar call because I'm just killing the spirit up here today. <laughs> Why is the Sabbath a spiritual lesson and not a physical lesson? Why is it put right there in uh, the Torah alongside adultery, alongside murder, alongside cheating and lying and stealing, etc., etc.? Why is the Sabbath right there along with everything else? There is spiritual truth here. It's not primarily, it's partially about resting the body. But there's something more important than that. It's about restoring the soul. The Sabbath is more about than just resting the body. It's restoring the soul. Exodus 20, verse number 9, you have six days in which to do your work, but the seventh day is to be a day of complete rest. That's not the end of the scripture. That's not the end of the scripture. Dedicated to me. Dedicated to me. Somebody say dedicated to God. Dedicated to God. Dedicated to God. Because if we're not careful, we will choose entertainment on our day of rest and wonder why we're not spiritually restored. All right, moving along. Uh, Sabbath is this day of rest, and it was made for us. God's not tired. We're the people who's tired. God doesn't lie to himself. We're the people who lie to ourselves. Deception is on this end of the story, not on heaven's side of the story. The Sabbath was made for us because we need time in our busy, busy life to reset, to refit, to heal, to recover, to restore. There is no ministry if you have nothing to give away. Uh, things will uh, never make me whole nor feed my soul. Uh, things will never make me whole or feed my soul. Uh, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? And so what I need to do spiritually, I need to see the necessity, the spiritual necessity of rest, spiritual rest. Yes, physical rest, but hear me. You don't get sleep, your body will let you know. Your body will punish you. But our souls does not punish us. We don't perceive spiritual exhaustion. Hear me if you don't hear what else I'm saying. We don't perceive spiritual exhaustion in the manner of the flesh where we suffer. We don't perceive spiritual exhaustion as suffering. We do in the flesh. Your body will punish you if you don't sleep. We don't, it, 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 that's how we perceive it in the flesh, but in the spirit, we perceive it as a type of disconnection, not suffering. We experience it as a type of distraction, not suffering. Your spirit does not in any way make you suffer. It just whispers to you of weakness, increasing weakness, increasing weakness, increasing weakness, increasing weakness, and pretty soon you think you're strong, but guess what? You're weak. We must be restored in our soul. We must spiritually endeavor as people of faith to create a transfer that says there is no right unless you make it right. There is no rest unless you give me peace. What are you placing on an altar as an offering of your faith? I give it to you, God, because I couldn't fix it if I tried. If I could fix it, it would have been fixed 17 years ago, 17 months ago, 17 days ago. But look at it. It's beat me to death. I can't rest. My spiritual productivity is destroyed. And here I am in survival mode, barely keeping myself saved, putting my family in trials because my character is felling under the stress of it all. Yeah. Amen. I need the rest that only God can give. And so, God, here's where I'm going to start. I'm starting with repentance and confession. I'm not going to tell you what I need. I'm going to tell you I need you. I'm not going to make a list of what you should do. I'm going to say I need you. Because if I get you, I get everything you can do for free. 
If I can get God in my heart, I'll get the strength that I need. I don't have to ask for strength. If I got God in my heart, I'll get the confidence I need. I won't have to ask for confidence. If I get God working on me, I'll get the reproof that I need. I won't have to always make a list of things I'm never going to do again. Why? I've been transformed. I'm not just coping. Transformation is what all of us need. We need uh, recovery. We need peace. We need rest. If you don't have rest in your spiritual life, you are paying the price for it, and you are growing weaker by the day. Christ is the rest wherein the weary find rest. Matthew 6, this is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, look to the birds of the air, and I'm almost done. Musicians, you can come. Look at the birds in the air. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, but you're heavenly father feeds them and you know that you are worth so much more than the birds you cannot add any time to your life by worrying about it and why do you worry about anything else look at the beauty of the wild flowers in the field they don't worry or overwork but God takes care of them so you can be sure that he will clothe you too oh I want to make an appeal to you today this isn't the kind of sermon where it's enough for you to have a churchy experience. You're going to have to take this into your life, and you're going to have to say, this is the way. Walk ye in it. Will you, will you help me say that right now? This is the way. Walk ye in it. This is the way. This is the way. Not my plan, your plan. Not me criticizing others. Not me fighting with others. Not me arrogating to myself. That's a fancy way of saying a person who is arrogant, okay? Uh, arrogating to myself, and I threw that out for the word nerds here. Let that be a blessing to you. We have English majors in the church, and uh, God bless them. <laughs> I want to say this. I want to say this. I'm not in the business of commanding, telling, ordering God. I'm in the business of humbling myself. I'm in the business of saying there is no good thing in me. I am not the good guy in the story. How do you know if it's your story or God's story? If it's your story, you're always the good guy. <laughs> Could I get an amen from the rhythm department back here? How about the good talk? I got an amen from the good car. You got an amen for me today? When you're always the good guy in the story, it's your story. Because in God's story, you're not the good guy. In God's story is I don't deserve what God has done for me. But I'm here to say thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you have done in my life. I'm here to say God is good all the time. I'm here to say though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Stand with me all across this house. I'm here to do something today that might surprise you. I'm here to tell you it's time for you to get your spiritual rest. I'm I think it's time for some of you as an act of worship to lay it down. Did you hear what I said? As an act of worship. I've done what I can do. Somebody do it. say that with me right now. Lift your hands all across the house. Say, I've done what I can do. I'm ready to give it to you. Somebody help me say it. I've done what I can do. I'm ready to give it to you. I'm not the good guy in the story, Lord. You're the good guy in the story, and I need you, so wash me, cleanse me, forgive me. I'm tired of covering myself with leaves. I need a covering that only you can give. It's your mercy. It's your righteousness. It's your goodness, and we bless you in the sanctuary today. 
are entering into our linger portion of the service right now. If you're comfortable, I'd like you to feel free to step out into the aisle or go to someone that you already are doing life with, maybe a friend. If you're with your family, you can pray with your family. This front's going to open up. Those of you with specific needs, you can come down to the front. Our pastoral team will meet you here. Uh, Some of us may move uh, through and greet you and maybe introduce ourselves, uh, welcome you, perhaps pray for you. But this is the linger right here. And this is what, you know, we, we grew up calling the altar service. But nowadays that scares people who know just enough about church to want to run away when the altar service starts. So don't run away. This is just the linger right here. Our worship team has taken us deeper. I want every one of you strong believers to turn your pew into a place of worship. I want you to lift your hands. I want you to call upon the name of the Lord. I want you to humble yourself. I want you to confess. Make heaven rejoice. Let's put the worship service in heaven here today by confession and repentance. All across this house right now, we're going to let the Spirit of the Lord begin to move. I believe God has great things for you. We love you. We appreciate you. God bless you. Let God speak to your heart right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.